Turn to the uh, book of Proverbs and uh, look at chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. And verse 6. It says there, For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we're thankful for the great things that you have done. And uh, Lord, we're uh, forever mindful uh, of salvation, our Saviour, Heavenly Father. Uh, the greatest thing uh, that has ever uh, been done uh, for us, Heavenly Father, that you gave your only begotten Son uh, to die on that cruel cross, Heavenly Father, uh, to pay our sin debt, Lord. And we're forever grateful for that. But you continue. Uh, to work in our lives and we're grateful for that too heavenly father and uh, as we look into your word i do pray that you'll be with us and uh, see uh, your wisdom heavenly father and uh, what it means to have understanding heavenly father in jesus name amen, amen. so we'll have a look at uh, what the lord tells us uh, to do in order to get his wisdom or what the lord is looking uh, for in a person uh, that he wants to bestow his wisdom or understanding. Uh, we're going to look at some practical things that pertain to the wisdom of God and how it helps us uh, as believers. And, uh, but when you think about it, the last place the world goes to find wisdom is to God. Actually, it's not even the last place. They don't even go there. Uh, you know, they don't even really consider it. You know, unless someone comes to the cross first uh, and believes in what appears to be foolish uh, and then you know unless they realize that that's not actually foolish they'll never uh, come to true wisdom they'll never find true wisdom it's only when they consider that and consider the cross will they find wisdom and uh, true knowledge as well and also true understanding because the only true and lasting contentment that anyone can ever have is found in the wisdom of God. Amen. And it starts at the cross. But look at chapter 3 from verse 13. See, wisdom, the wisdom of God gives us contentment. And we'll see that here. Look at verse 13. It says, Happy, happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things that thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honour. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her. And look at this. And happy is everyone that retaineth her. So the world's wisdom is always going to be at odds with God's wisdom. You know, it's amazing when you think about it, what the Lord uses uh, to turn the world's wisdom on its head. And now we're going to look at this. We'll turn to 1 Corinthians. We'll come back to Proverbs chapter 2 a bit later. Turn to 1 Corinthians 
And uh, look at chapter 1. Look at verse 27. It says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Because when you think about it, the wisdom of the world glories uh, in things that seem to just cultivate pride. You know, because, you know, when you think about it, uh, like if a university or, or someone like that uh, you know, if they're promoting uh, a degree in learning or something, you know, they're not going to use someone in tattered clothes who may have got their one of their degrees but has given their degree away to be a servant under others. They're not going to use that person to, pr to promote it. They're going to promote that successful one that, uh, you know, uh, made heaps of money and all that kind of thing. And uh, because for the world, it has to... Uh, the great and uh, mighty and all these all these kinds of things, but that's not how the Lord does it, you know. Because you know, if I were just going to use this person in tattered clothes who gave, gave away their degree to serve others uh, to the world, that's just foolish. That would be absolutely foolish, not, and they wouldn't see that as wise. See, the wisdom of God turns the wisdom of the world on its head. When you think about the God of heaven. And earth becoming a servant. Becoming a servant. See, to the world, that's foolish. You know, if you just ask a Muslim or, or even a Jew or even an atheist, they'll tell you that that's foolish. And that's one of the uh, uh, things that when, you know, I've, I've had when speaking to Muslims is they just can't get over the fact that God would humble himself and become as a man and become a servant. And uh, they just, to, to them, that's just foolish. But God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. That's what he does. He turns everything on its, on its head. And that's why God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. But that doesn't sit well with pride. With a pride person, that doesn't sit well. Look at uh, Philippians. We'll go to uh, Philippians. Look at chapter 2. Look at verse 3. <clears throat> This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Philippians, the church in Philippi. He says, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. 
Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Look at this. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. See, to the world, that's just foolish. No reputation. No reputation. A servant. The God of heaven becoming a servant. In verse 8 it says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. See, to the one who's searching for fame, riches, long life, the cross is just foolish. To them it just, it just doesn't make sense. But that's why God has chosen base things in this world because base and weak, weak things lead to humility and not to pride. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, look at verse 25, it says, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. See, God can use the weakest and most foolish things and in the end, they're wiser and stronger than any man's wisdom or strength. Verse 26 in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. See, the foolishness and the weakness of the cross draws in for the most part people that are not high flyers, you know, if you want to call it that, or uh, people with selfish, worldly ambitions. It, it draws in people that are just sick of those things. They're getting sick of those things. You know, it's not that a wise man after the flesh or a noble man can't be drawn. That's, it's not saying that. You know, I think people like Nicodemus, you know, I think of him, he was a ruler of the Jews. He had a high position. You know, I think of people even like Luke, the physician that was uh, going around with, with Paul. You know, this guy obviously was a physician, had a doctor's degree. And, uh, or even Zacchaeus, who was a wealthy man, you know, most likely even by dodgy dealings with other people. But he changed. You know, I reckon he was sick of it. He was sick of it. He was at the end of it. You know, because Nicodemus, he would have been seen as a foolish man when he was helping Joseph of Arathamia wrap Jesus in his burial clothes. They all would have looked at him and said, what are you doing, you fool? You know, people would have been thinking that Luke is foolish, following around the Apostle Paul, helping him in the ministry when he's got this doctor's degree. Zacchaeus would have been seen as foolish, you know, working out who he needed to pay back money. 
See, the wisdom of God will never be aligned with worldly wisdom. It just never will be. And true contentment only comes with godly wisdom. That's the only time you'll find true contentment. And it comes with godly wisdom, and godly wisdom and understanding will always be through ways that the, the world seems uh, or deems as foolish. The world is always looking to the successful. It's looking to the rich, and it's looking to the mighty for wisdom. Now, but, and this is where the, the world thinks they're going to find contentment. But they're not going to find it. They'll never find it. See, for those Jews who rejected Christ as their Messiah, the cross was foolish to them. You know, to them it was all about pride. You know, their Messiah had to come as this mighty conquering king to destroy everyone else around them because, you know, to them, they thought the sin problem was just with everybody else and not them. But anyone, anyone that ignores their own sin problem they're always going to dismiss the cross as foolishness. Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. Because with the, with the love of sin comes pride. With the love of sin comes pride. Because deep down, even our consciences tell us that it's not right. Even our consciences tell us that it's not right. And where there is rebellion... There's always pride. Wherever there's rebellion, there's pride. But with the wisdom of God and what he accomplished in Christ on the cross, it can only produce humility and not pride because you can only humbly accept what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. You can only accept that humbly. Look at verse 18 and 19 of 1 Corinthians. Says uh, chapter 1, it says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. <coughs> Verse 19 says, For it is written, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. So when we cross reference verse 19, uh, to where this is written, we find it in the book of Isaiah. And uh, so turn to the book of Isaiah. And look at chapter 29. As it is written. And uh, have a look at verse 13. We'll read from verse 13. So Isaiah the prophet is prophesying against the rebellious uh, children of Israel here. And uh, Jesus actually in Mark 7 verse 6, he also quoted verse 13 here to the Pharisees uh, in his day. But look at verse 13, it says, uh, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near to me with their mouth and with their lips do honour me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. 
See, the problem that the Pharisees and the most of Israel had was that they didn't have a genuine fear of the Lord. They'd moved into this religious mindset where they could say all the right things, all the right things uh, with their mouth, you know, as if, as if they were drawing near to the Lord. But they weren't really doing it. They weren't really drawing near to the Lord. Their heart wasn't really in it. You know, what they were really doing was looking for ways to contone uh, their covetous lifestyles. That's what, they were, that's what they were really doing. Instead of wanting truth, they wanted lies. Uh, they wanted lies that would justify their wicked ways. You know, they were willingly being ignorant of the truth. Because if you look over at chapter 30, look at verse 8. Now go, write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for this for the time to come and forever and ever, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, See not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits. This is what's really going on in their heart. Look at this. Get you out of the way, turn aside out of the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. You know, we just read that they draw near to him with their mouth. But this is really what's going on in their heart. So when I look at this, it makes me realise that it, it really doesn't matter what lingo people use. You know, or what they say with their mouths, because it can be all the right things. It can be all the right things. But the way they live and, then, and the way they ignore plain, sound Bible teaching and yet still uh, run to smooth-speaking, ear-tickling preachers really shows where their heart is truly at. And uh, this is where most, most in Israel had arrived. They had arrived to this mindset. And uh, now we see the warning or the, the pending judgment of the Lord upon them. And uh, it was partially fulfilled during Isaiah's time when the Lord uh, used the Assyrians to judge Judah and spared only Jerusalem uh, during this time. And, uh, but we see the full fulfillment in 70 AD where everything was completely removed by the Romans. Remember... Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 24 that there wouldn't be one stone left upon another. But look what it says here in verse 13. Therefore this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall whose breaking cometh suddenly at an instant. And he shall break it as the breaking of the potter's vessel that is broken in pieces, he shall not spare, so that there shall not be found in the bursting of it a sure to take fire from the hearth, or to take water with withal out of the pit. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest shall ye be saved, and in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. And ye would not. And ye would not. I also believe this is one of the scriptures as well, 
uh, as uh, other, some other scriptures in Jeremiah that are referred to in Romans chapter 9, uh, where the apostle Paul is referring to God being the potter, uh, and out of the same lump of clay making one vessel unto honour and, and uh, to another unto dishonour. So Israel as a whole was a vessel used by the Lord for honourable purposes. But they had forsaken the Lord and even rejected their Messiah, rejected Christ, and therefore lost their honourable purpose. And the Lord turns to the Gentiles and make them a vessel for his honourable purposes. So you go back to chapter 29 and look at verse 14. And we'll see there this portion that the Apostle Paul quoted in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 19. So Isaiah 29, 14. says, <clears throat> this is what the Apostle Paul was referring to. He says, Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvellous work among this people, even a marvellous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise man shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent man, men shall be hid. For all the wisdom that they had, it was coming to naught. It was coming to nothing. And God used base things to do it. Base things. Like the foolishness of the cross. And the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the hard-hearted Jews that had rejected the word of God, time and time again, the wisdom of God in using these base things only confounded them. But they did it to themselves. And God as the potter can reshape them into a vessel of dishonour or even smash them to pieces if he wants to. That's what it's saying in Isaiah. Look at verse 15 and 16. It says, Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord, and their works are in the dark, and they say, Who seeth us, and who knoweth us? Look at this, look at this one. Surely... Your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say of him that made it, he made me not? Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, he had no understanding? See, if they want to turn everything upside down, then God let them have their way. He makes them who were once a vessel of honour into a vessel of dishonour in that they even crucify their Messiah. The very one that came from that nation. See, God is not a respecter of persons. It doesn't matter whether people come from Israel or any other nation. God just wants people that have a heart for him and his righteousness. That's what he wants. The Apostle Peter said it in Acts chapter 10, if we want to turn there. Acts chapter 10. Look at verse 1. 
Acts chapter 10. It says there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. Look at this, a devout man. And one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people. Look at this, and prayed to God always. So here you've got this Roman centurion living, living in Caesarea among predominantly Jewish people uh, at the time. And he's a true follower of the God of Israel, even being a Gentile. Of course, there would have been other Jewish people there that were true followers of, of God too, but for the most part, a lot, a lot of them weren't. But you have a Gentile here. So we see it there that he was one that feared God with all of his house. It wasn't just lip service either. He was a praying man that prayed to God always, always. He had a relationship with the Lord. And uh, he gave much alms to the people. He had a heart for the people around him as well. So he hadn't heard all the details about Jesus yet. But the Lord knew this man's heart and was going to get the message to him one way or another. Look at this in verse 3. It says, He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine arms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. So just to, uh, instead of going through this whole passage, we know the next day Peter, he saw a vision uh, three times. Uh, we saw this great sheet uh, knit uh, at the four corners coming down from heaven with all the unclean animals in it. And uh, then he was told also to go and visit Cornelius. Look at verse 30. Go down to verse 30 and see what Cornelius, Cornelius said to Peter when he got there, when Peter got there. And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine arms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. Look at this, he says, immediately, immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. So you can tell what sort of worshipper of God that Cornelius was. He had a thirst for God more than most in probably Caesarea who claimed uh, that they did. He yearned to see the will of God done. It was while he was praying and fasting that he received the vision from the Lord. 
Cornelius was a man of faith. He believed God and he didn't uh, procrastinate either. It says that he immediately did what the Lord asked him to do. Immediately. Therefore, he says, I sent to thee. He couldn't wait to do the Lord's will and see what the Lord had for him. So he immediately sent for Peter to come. And Cornelius, he knew. He knew that this was going to be good. He knew. Look at verse 25 and see what he did while he was waiting for Peter to come. <clears throat> verse 24, sorry. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. See, at this stage, Cornelius didn't even know what all this was about. But he did know it was from the Lord. He knew it was from the Lord. There's no doubt about that. And if it was from the Lord, then he wanted all of his kinsmen and his close friends to know about it as well. So when I think of the Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 2, I think of people like Cornelius. See, Cornelius was given understanding because he sought the Lord. And I reckon he was given it very much like we read in the Proverbs chapter 2. So we'll go back to Proverbs chapter 2. Look at verse 1. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding, yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasure, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Verse 6, For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. Verse 7, it says, He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He keepeth the paths of judgment and preserveth the way of his saints. Then shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, every good path. So we can see here that God will give understanding to those who have a heart for it. For those that treasure the word of God and want to understand it. And while seeking for the Lord's wisdom, just doing those things that the Lord asks. Those clear things like walking uprightly in the things that you do know, like Cornelius was doing. Verse 10, When wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee. See, the Lord wants to give us discretion and understanding uh, so that we can determine what is every good path. 
that's what he wants us to uh, have discretion in. And also equity. Now it's discerning what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is evil. Verse 12, to deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from the man that speaketh forward things, who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice to do evil and delight in the frowardness of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and they froward in their paths, to deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flattereth with her words which forsaketh the guide of her youth and forgetteth the covenant of her God. For her house inclineth unto death and her paths unto the dead. None that go into her return again, neither take they hold of the paths of life, that thou mayest walk in the way of good men and keep the paths of righteousness. So we need godly wisdom to walk in the way of good men and to keep on the paths of righteousness. And it finishes off with a little reminder of what happened to the Israelites that didn't enter into the promised land. Out of all the murmuring Israelites at that time who came out of Egypt, there was only a few like Joshua and Caleb that entered into the promised land and the rest fell in the wilderness. Verse 21, For the upright shall dwell in the land and the perfect shall remain in it. But the wicked shall be cut off from the earth and the transgressors shall be rooted out of it. So this is a good reminder uh, to us what the Lord's looking for and what pleases the Lord. So the Lord wants those that want to know him and have a desire for his truth and for his righteousness and who walk in uprightness. And uh, we need to keep humbly seeking the Lord and his wisdom. And then he will give us the knowledge and the understanding so that we can discern what is every good path that he wants us to take. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're thankful for your word. Uh, we're thankful for the Proverbs, examples like Cornelius, even the examples uh, that we have in Israel, in nations, Heavenly Father. And uh, Lord, we can see how good you've been. We can see your judgment too, Heavenly Father. But we can see your desire for us as well, Heavenly Father. And Lord, we want to uh, have your wisdom, Lord. And be humble people, Lord. And we know that the world's wisdom will never agree with your wisdom. But we want your wisdom, Heavenly Father. We're thankful for the cross, Heavenly Father. And we know that the world sees that as foolish, but your wisdom is wiser than the wisest in this world, Heavenly Father.